Welcome to the Athlete Diaries. I'm your host, Guy Walker. On this podcast, I take you through the journeys and challenges of professional athletes, from resilience to mental health and life away from sport. This week, we have NBL superstar, Kyle Adnam. Kyle is a star in his own right, but there is plenty more to come. Considered a veteran now in the NBL, Kyle's journey has been incredible. From starting at Adelaide as a development player and having to work in a pizza shop to make ends meet, to winning a championship with Melbourne United in 2018, and now helping lead the South East Melbourne Phoenix to become a force in the NBL. With so many experiences, with great teams and mentors, Kyle has developed into a quality leader with a strong focus on being approachable, direct and driven. He shares some amazing stories on and off the court, including his stint with the Dallas Mavericks. Kyle Adnam, thank you for joining us, mate. No worries. Thanks for having me. Um, we'll start off today, mate. We'll, the sort of first nine or ten episodes so far have been sort of introduction and, and jump straight into it. I'll, I sort of want to take it a little bit of a different path um, this episode and, and sort of show a little bit of of your life away from sport, mate. So I'll start off with a little bit of a a little bit of a rapid fire uh, round. So are you are you ready for it? I'm ready. Born ready. <laughs> All right, we'll start off with the first question. What's one thing you wish you had known uh, when you began your career? Ooh, um, probably taking care of my body, early days, yep. Um, second question, who are the people who have been most influential to you? Uh, I mean, cliche, but it's true. My parents, um, massive, massive inspirations to me and also my my grandparents. I was in a, a separated home. so. My grandparents, yep. in particular, my pop, looked after me from that sort of father figure, and um, yeah, the best people ever. So, hundred percent, they're my inspiration. Yep, yep, good answer. Keep them happy as well. Um, here we go. He, he's one that I reckon might get a few different answers. What is the best compliment or the funniest compliment you've ever received? Oh, the best or funniest? Probably that I look like Ellen DeGeneres. <laughs> I've got that one as well a few times. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't know if it's a compliment or not, but like she's killing it. Her, her wallet yeah. would be pretty fat. And um, yeah. yeah, I don't know. I've been called that. We went overseas um, in Taiwan for the World University Games and we played against Canada and they had a few guys in the crowd calling me Ellen, which was sweet. But um, I think I had about 20 or 25, so I can't complain about that. That was awesome. <laughs> might be a superstition now. You might have to get some people yelling out in the crowd from now on then. Yeah, I cop it every day at practice, so I'm used to it. That's why I'm trying to grow this thing out to just make me a touch manlier. <laughs> um, what is, what's your go-to meal and what, what is your favourite uh, restaurant and what's your, your, your favourite go-to meal? Ooh, great question. My favourite restaurant on earth is a restaurant actually that's in Bali. Um, and it's called yep. uh, Barocca and it's an Italian restaurant, beautiful, right on the water, unreal. Um, yeah, I love Italian food. That's 100% my go-to. Um, yeah, just yep. a really nice pasta, some bruschetta. That's kind of my, my flavours, I think. Yeah, mate, I, I've, I've actually never been to Bali. I've heard a lot of good things about it, but one thing I have not heard about it is, is Italian food and Italian restaurants. So is it pretty good, is it? Oh, it's unbelievable. I think one of the... the Great things about Bali, you hear lots of uh, quirky stories, I'm sure, but the food's actually sensational. It's unreal. Uh, really? Especially the sort of westerny um, owned restaurants are, uh, are really nice. Um, and some of the local food as well is just unbelievable. 
Yeah, I reckon you'd like to get a get away there as well for a surf, wouldn't you? I've never been, mate, but I've heard it's pretty good surf over there. Yeah, the waves get pretty good. Um, it can be seasonal, but yeah, you can you can definitely get yeah. pretty good waves. Yeah, nice. And last one, what what would you be doing, mate? If if you weren't if you didn't have your dream job right now playing basketball, what would be your dream job away from playing a bit of ball? Uh, well, my dream job would be to be a professional surfer, but that is no hope at all. <laughs> but yeah i think i always as a kid i always wanted to be a teacher um I, yeah yep. i loved that was kind of my my fallback plan if anything um doing a bit of study now so yeah that was kind of my thing i think yeah has anyone ever said to you, you look a little bit like john john florence that might be a new doppelganger oh i've copped it a couple of times and i'm in wollongong and different people in the crowd and yeah. stuff at me when you go to the surfy towns they they know who he is but um yeah, no, he's a he's a superstar. I'll take that. Yeah, no, you'd probably take that over Ellen Generous anyway. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, mate, we'll start. Can we go back a little bit to to sort of your early childhood? What was it like for you growing up? Um, a little bit around basketball and just early life in general. Yeah, so um, I grew up in Lilydale, which is in the eastern suburbs of of Melbourne, um, just the start of the Arrow Valley, uh, with my three brothers um, and mum and my my dad. Uh, stepdad Klaus, uh, so he came into my life when I was probably about one or two years old. Um, yep. And yeah, we kind of just you know normal family, normal brothers, wrestling and and fighting, and always outside and um, always doing things together. We we're very lucky, very very lucky. Um, and I think my love for basketball and um, sort of determination, being I guess you're not stereotypical basketballer. Um, definitely was sort of moulded in the backyard for sure. I mean, my older brother was four years older and bigger and stronger, and my younger brother Jordan is six five. So I don't know what happened to my egg or what happened to you. <laughs> went wrong in there for sure, mate. I got a, I think I got a dud sperm or something. I don't know, but <laughs> it worked out all right. And I think that in terms of basketball, it was actually the biggest blessing because I. You know, I had to learn to play against one, a bigger and stronger person in my older brother and also someone who was taller and more athletic in my younger brother. So I think it really sort of refined my skills um, at a young age. Yeah, was it, very, was it very typical Australian childhood for you playing four different sports or playing footy and cricket, basketball, or was it always basketball for you all the way through? Uh, yeah, I played footy um, until under 16s. Yep, under 15s or 16s. Um, I was a um, pretty average footballer. I was on the ball, running around, could run all day, but, you know, didn't have the best skills yeah. or, or body, as you could imagine. I got pushed around a bit, but it was always good fun. I loved getting out there. And I um, also did some motorbike racing, um, which was a bit off the grid. Um, rollerblading, I, I did everything. Roller yeah, well, yeah. In the bowl, I was, a, I was a fruit booter, as they used to call it. Um, <laughs> yeah, we, we, we honestly did so much. I think one thing we did as kids was we always challenged each other in whether it was sport, whether it was, you know, just random things inside the house. Um, so, you know, my older brother would say, oh, I think this is cool. Or my younger brother would be, oh, I'm going to do this. And then all of a sudden all three of us had to do it and try and beat each other at yeah. it. So it was just we tried everything under the sun, tennis, trampolining. Oh, yeah, I can't even – I couldn't even tell everything we've done. It's just been awesome. What, what was that competitiveness like? Because I've, I've seen you, I've seen a bit of your highlights um, in basketball games right now, and your tenacity and desire to get to the basket is 
is crazy. Do you sort of credit them younger years playing against two bigger brothers, um, probably fighting and trying to kill each other? And I'm probably, I probably could imagine that the competition with your brothers was probably harder than what it is now in professional sport. Yeah, definitely. Um, as I said, it was just like, for me, I'd, I'd go outside at a young age and I'd, I'd lose to my older brother, guaranteed. He was too big, too strong. He'd just back me down and just lay it up. My younger brother, was he's a really good basketballer. He plays Siebel now for Kilsyth, which is the level underneath the NBL, but he's a, he's a really good basketballer. And he was long and tall, and in the backyard in a small court, he would, he would dominate me too. So I spent probably the first few years just running inside crying uh, to mum, just saying, like, this is, this is rubbish. I, you know, I, I can't win a game in my own backyard. And I think that, that little saying there was something that, actually was as I said before the biggest blessing it was figuring out how to win a game in my own backyard you know and they were not going to go easy on me my older brother was never going to give me a game and it probably took me until about 13 or 14 and I started sneaking a few games and then all of a sudden we hit 16 and it was just they couldn't get near me and that was what I loved (laughs) so I um they I hope they watch this and they hear that too because I've told them it all before they had the upper hand on me at the younger age. So, yeah, as I said, just trying to figure oh. out how to win a game in my own backyard was was number one for me. Oh, well, it sounded like you put a put a hard shift in for them sort of four or five years until you got to 16 and were able to start getting a few wins. So you probably deserved it in the end. Oh, I was resilient, that was for sure. <laughs> Mate, that, that actually sort of – it does bring up something for me because obviously I've read a few things um, – that you sort of speak about at times is that a lot of people sort of would say that, geez, how are you playing basketball at such a high level given your size? And how how have you sort of been able to to deal with that feedback from from people? Because the resilience that you must have and desire to get to where you've got to so far is is quite incredible. Yeah, I think um I mean I think I'd be lying if I said it never got to me in my life. Um I think there's definitely been times where that's crept in. Um, but I think that 99% of the time I've always felt bigger than everybody in, in some way in terms of my, my size. Yeah. And that's, that's the way I've had to think. And I think that it's, you know, I've never wanted to be someone who, you know, is an arrogant player or anything like that. Of course not. But within my own mind, I thought I have to be, I have to believe that I'm bigger and stronger and tall enough and all that because if I don't, then no one does because I know everyone else doesn't. So if I don't even have myself in my own corner, then downhill I go. So for me, it was at a young age, I had to figure that out and I had to get over a few of those hurdles of, okay, it's all right. Like you're going to make mistakes. And I really struggled making mistakes because I felt like when I made a mistake, it was like, oh, he's, he's a bit small. You know, that was the response to my mistake. Whereas it wasn't just a normal mistake. Um, but once I got over that and really started, yeah, getting over that hurdle and, I mean, I didn't grow a lot, but I grew enough to the point where, you know, now I'm just average, I'm fine in my position in the NBL now, but I was a very short in juniors. So, yeah, it definitely was, yeah, it was an interesting path, but I think that, as I said, having that self-belief, it's, again, a bit of a cliche, but it's so important. You need to have at least one person in your corner and it's got to be yourself. And yeah. After that, you can have 
as many as you like. Yeah, definitely, mate. It's it, it's sort of the in the episodes that I've done with all different sports people um, at the highest of their sports is that the one one message keeps coming back. Two messages actually keep coming back is that you have to, the way you succeed is that you have to firstly have belief in yourself, but then to also be yourself as well around the group and and around um, your friends, family, and just to be yourself. So how much? Did it take you a while to when you were first in the system because you played so for so many teams? Did it take you a while to sort of, um, sort of blend in and be able to be yourself? And has that changed over the years? Um, yeah, definitely. I think that my sort of hurdles were sort of sixteens, eighteens, getting that age group, getting into that yep. sort of stage of my career. Um, my NBL career started off as a development player where. Um, I'm not sure. Obviously, back then when I started, there was actually no no money for a development player. So it was like you come play with our professional program, but there's no financial benefit. Um, I went to Adelaide. Wow. Um, I actually got offered a contract at Wollongong. So I went to Wollongong on a contract and then they went into voluntary administration. So straight away I had to come back to Melbourne and that's when I signed with Melbourne United. So my first three teams, I mean – Whilst it was year to year bouncing around, they were all sort of circumstantial and um, kind of moves that had to be made as the NBL was kind of shifting and moulding itself into the league it is now. So, um, yeah, yeah I, I don't think that was a problem. I think for me it was opportunity in a sense where if someone six eight and walks onto a basketball court, it's like, okay, this guy can play at this level. When I step into a game, maybe it takes two or three or four games for someone to go, okay, he can play at this level. So for me, it was about getting that consistent opportunity. Um, and I was just waiting for that opportunity whilst I was kind of preparing. And then, you know, they both met, sort of the preparation and the opportunity met. And then that was my, yeah, probably second, first year at United, second year at United is when I kind of really started playing and getting consistent minutes. and. Um, the following year, we won the championship, which was a great little start to my my journey. Yeah, because obviously that that's that's an amazing. In your teen years, you got picked up by Adelaide and Illawarra and Wollongong, like you said. It's but there's no to have no money there as, and moving away from home as well. How did you how did you deal with that? Did you have to work as well to to be able to survive in Adelaide at that time as well? Yeah, so I um I had a job at a pizza shop in Chezzers. So um I was training six days a week as with the full squad. We were doing you know five hours in a day, um, and at night I'd go to the pizza shop and I'd work. Um, you know, sometimes on a Sunday we'd play say a three o'clock game, and and I'd suit up and sit on the bench and you know probably not play, but sometimes I'd get on the floor and. Afterwards, I'd go straight out, get my apron and straight to the pizza shop to work and people would come. No way. People would come in after the games to the shop and um, a few of the people would go, were you, were you on the bench tonight for the Sixers? Did you get on the court? Blah, blah, blah. And um, I was like, yeah, yeah. And they go, really? Oh, it's just, it was just a weird situation but in some sense it was so um, humbling as well in terms of not just being handed anything. I don't think I've ever been handed something in my life because of my, um, I guess, physical attributes for a basketballer. So for me, it was just another um, stone I had to had to do and um, unturn. And um, 
yeah, it was something I had to do to stay there. And it was, yeah, one of the best things I did. It was actually a great little job too. I, I didn't mind it. Yeah, well, so you make a good pizza then. So your your partner now, she uh, she knows what you can cook. That's it. And I used to get a free pizza <laughs> left. So um, get paid and you get fed. So that's a, that was a – Yeah, you know. Jesus. That's pretty good, yeah. Um, it really is interesting sort of reading a little bit about your career because you went from sort of development squad Adelaide back to Kilsyth and then sort of back to Wollongong, back to Kilsyth, to Melbourne United, to Kilsyth, and then sort of off to even New Zealand. Like you've travelled so much and like you've been with so many different teams and, and been able to develop at different teams. Sort of what was that journey like from, from sort of years to where you are now to play for so many different teams to go to the NBL and kill Scythe and back and and now to to where you are now like how do you how do you sort of look back at that sort of time of your life um well it's it's amazing I think it's the best some of the best years of my life too is um so obviously this the Siebel season which is kill Scythe runs opposite to the yep. NBL so same with New Zealand yep. so what a lot of basketballers do in particular at the starts of their career when they you know maybe want to make more money get more experience travel uh, travel um they'll play both so i was playing um yeah nbl and then i'd go back and play siebel or i'd go to new zealand eventually as well so um obviously played from kilsyth from when i was six years old all the way through so always love going back there and um that was where i was really sort of molded into the player i am coaches etc um New Zealand, I went to New Zealand and I had to obviously not play for Kilsyth that year, which was tough, but it was just an yeah. incredible experience. Living in another country, was I was in a beautiful place. I made some of the best friends I've um, got to this day, Finn Delaney, who plays with the New Zealand Breakers. Um, he yeah. was my housemate when I first moved to, to New Zealand and we're best of mates now and it's amazing how not only basketball, but the people you meet through sport and travel and um, it's just incredible. And that's that's what I loved about that journey, you know, going to a few different places. I got lots of feedback from different minds that were great yep. and I also met and um, made friends with some amazing people too who I still am really close with to this day. Yeah, that, that's awesome, mate. Like it's, it's, it's an incredible journey and then like you, you've gone from sort of traveling around all over the place to being a part of of a championship winning side at, at United in 2018. Can you can you sort of remember what that that year was like? And you're starting to really um, play a lot of games and really started to see some serious success. Yeah, I um I feel like that was the first year where I really came into my own in terms of like, all right, I'm here. Um, you know, I'm, I'm on scouting reports full time. Like, oh, you got to watch out, you know, like a, I felt like I really yep. kind of established myself then. Um, so that was amazing for me to be involved in that leading up to that championship. Um, in terms of a group, I think that one thing, um, you know, you, you'd know yourself in sport, you just randomly find these things that click and people are gelling and, you know, they may not be the best of friends or whatever it is, but it, it's almost like, you can't put your finger on it. Everyone's got their theories as to why things are going great. But it's this amazing thing that sport does is it just clicks somehow. It's fans, it's people, it's front office and everything's just, this machine's just rolling. And um, I think that that's what happened that year at United. We had a great bunch of guys and our team was really well balanced and we all challenged each other. That was one thing. Every day at practice was like, 
everyone was going at each other. Um, Casper Ware was the point guard. I'd come into track yeah. and go, and I'm going to kill Casper today. And Casper would go, I'm going to kill Kyle today. And 90% of the time he would kill me, but 10% of the time we would <laughs> in there too. And we were just so competitive. And that was at every position up yeah. at Foster. And it was that competition every single day that just drove us. Um, and I think from almost halfway through that season, we were pretty feeling pretty good about ourselves. And I just felt like we were a step above the competition because of that. Um, yeah, it was a yeah. real year. Yeah, it, it's really interesting the, what you bring up there around it's hard to actually put your finger on knowing when it clicks. It just feels like it clicks. Like if you could possibly explain it to people that don't possibly play sport or don't understand that feeling, how would be the the best way you could describe when everything just feels right, everything's going along really well? How would you best describe that? Um, It's really tough because I feel like if Mm. people could explain that like and do it, it would be replicated year and year and year after. (laughs) I think when you you merge um, talent um, with a lot of effort, competition, and then we we stayed injury-free too, which is huge in sport. Um, A lot of injuries are obviously a part of the game um, and they can really, really change the ebbs and flow of your roster. but we, were, we had a great leader in our coach, Dean Vickerman, and also our assistant coach, Simon Mitchell, who's now the coach of our, our team, Phoenix. Um, yep. We had some great leadership. Um, and we also had that, because the competition was there, we had that next guy up. So I've always thought that a great team, um, you can pull out a couple of pieces here and there. You know, you think about a footy team or whatever, you know, you change your forward pocket, you change a winger, you know, whatever it is. I think that the the machine should still be running how it is and, you know, you should be playing the same way. The results change, but you should be playing the same way and I think that's probably the best way to describe it, that not anyone could have done the job, of course, but we had guys who were ready to step up if someone were to go down and if not, they were there doing their job and we all knew that. It was just like next man up and we were just no excuses and it was just so cool to be a part of just cool environment every day yeah mate it's an awesome it's an awesome feeling isn't it because you almost have like you almost have this like will to win that you literally the probably when i got asked this question i i I sat there and thought about it and just thought that the will to win on everyone on the side is just exponential and you'll just do anything to win um and you're right like if it was easy to explain, coaches and organisations would do it all the time. But it's just so hard to to get um, to get the players sort of going to the right direction. Because you're right, then like you look at Melbourne Demons a um, couple of years ago, 2018 made a semi qualifying final, and then um, and then the next year they finished 17th on the ladder because a lot of injuries. Probably some of the boys might have thought that they were a little bit further ahead than they were and it's just so hard to put a finger on it isn't it and now a message from our amazing partner Mendel the Athlete Diaries is proudly supported by Mendel a Melbourne based non-for-profit apparel label aimed at igniting conversations and raising awareness around men's mental health all proceeds from sales go directly to a charity of the month with the discount code AD20 just for our listeners, you can join the Mendel movement today with 20% off at www.mendel.com.au. 
How, how sort of at the Phoenix um, are you guys and the leaders as well trying to create a good culture and, and what is all that about? Yeah, I mean, you hear culture, culture, culture in sport, don't you? And it's, um, I mean, yep. it's said for a reason because, um, as I said, it's about trying to find that little that little spark that um, is so elusive in sport, but also when you get it is just amazing and this thing just keeps rolling. Um, but at the Phoenix, we've, we're really lucky to have some great leaders all in their own rights, you know. We've, we're really lucky that we don't have that, uh, necessarily one really strong voice that's just always talking and no one else is saying anything. We've got a really open forum where everyone's a leader in their own way. Some guys do it naturally by their voice, et cetera. But, um, yeah, we just we have a genuine care for each other and that's one thing when, when the club was built as to why I wanted to come home as well was um, the, the fans, the community are involved the heartland of basketball, it truly is. And we wanted it to be not just us 10 guys on the floor, um, but everyone, front office, everybody, you know, we have we have meetings with our whole organisation from top to bottom are in a meeting. Um, and I think that that's very rare in sport. We we call our members you know, personally, players call our members, say, hey, how are you going? What's been happening? Um, and I think that's one thing we're really trying to drive is this thing's bigger than just one guy. And um I think that's a really good way to go about it, especially in a team sport. I do, because a lot of players, probably myself included, is that sometimes you didn't feel like speaking up against the older players or not even against them, just, just speaking up with the older players. And it just seems like you're you're able and you have an ability to, to show leadership and, and discuss what you're thinking at the same time. So what is it something that, you, that you've always liked to do to be a leader and, and is there a role that you're playing at the moment at the Phoenix? Yeah, definitely. I think um, I think leadership's always been something that has been inside of me, and I've, uh, um, you know, probably as a kid, I was sometimes a bit too much, like yeah, do this, do that, a bit bossy and whatnot. And um, as we all are as kids, we're little shits. But I've, <laughs> I, I think I've always had that in me naturally, and I've always loved that. And I, I think that I love helping people, and I love you know, talking to people and whatnot. So even the young guys at the club, whatever development players who come through, you know, I'm always pulling them aside, trying to have a chat to them and um, by no means telling them what to do and how to do it and whatnot, but, you know, how we do it as a group, um, you know, how I can help you um, in your career, how I can help you off the court, whatever it is. Um, I just always want to be that person that someone feels comfortable talking to. And I think that if you are that in a group environment, all of a sudden your words have a lot more power. Um, if you're someone that people doesn't necessarily feel comfortable talking to, and you can be an authoritarian, you can be straight down the line and tell people how it is, and that's exactly how it goes sometimes, um, even for me. Yep. But I think at the end of the day when you sit down next to someone before or after practice, you've got to be able to be approachable. Um, and I think that that's one thing that I always pride of myself on and through that I think I've gained a natural sense of leadership because people feel well I hope they do this could be just be talking but <laughs> I hope people feel a sense that they could come and approach me about a trouble they may, may be having on the court off the court whatever it is and know that I'll give them that time and then from that when you then speak I think people really listen and um, yeah, I just try and always lead, I guess, by example in particular as well with my effort um, on the court. Yeah, that's a great point. Like 
I think that that's the new age of of a leader coming out now. Like even in in one of these episodes where I spoke to to Maxi Gorn, is is Gorn is very similar. He's someone that likes to build trust. He likes to be himself, and he wants to be approachable. Um, and I think it's different. You probably had coaches as well, but I I know certainly that um, when I was sort of first coming into sport and even first um, in professional sport, is that. It, there seemed to be a lot more authoritarian leaders that would that would tell you what to do instead of being able to actually approach them because that's what a good leader is essentially, isn't it? They're able to, to be approachable and to lead and to help people achieve certain goals. So, is that what you guys are sort of approaching in that sort of leadership group at the Phoenix? Is it sort of more of a everyone can sort of voice their opinions and, and ideas instead of just the top players just like giving it to the younger players sort of thing? Yeah, definitely. We've got a um, we've got like an honesty policy. So after practice as well, one thing that we do, um, training session finishes, and you, you pair up with someone whoever's close to you, typically a, a more senior player with a younger guy, what whatever it is, um, and you talk about yep. three things that you think that person did well, and then three things you thought they need to do better after the session. So you might have your youngest player on your roster, 19 years old, scared shitless, talking to whoever it is at the top end of your roster and telling them what they've done wrong. And I think that, but it's in a group setting and it's in an open forum where people, you know, and I think that that allows people to feel confident in delivering a message. Um, Sometimes there's nothing bad to say, you know, you don't have to just make things up or whatever, but it gives people an open, yep. honest forum. And I think that's one thing you can do when you kind of put people on the spot, they're forced to speak and forced to bring out an idea that, you know, they might have great ideas. And if um, they say something that's just absolutely stupid, you just don't ask them the next time. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome, mate. I've actually never heard of that. Like there's always like a few different things that people try to do, but that that's actually awesome. It actually sort of if someone is a little bit out of their comfort zone, it's actually not a bad thing to try to get them to speak up in front of the group because then they might say something that's really good and it's got a really good reception from the group and then they go, oh, actually, I can sort of speak up and they might be a really good leader because, like you said, sometimes the best leader is not the loudest person. It can be some a quiet person that's approachable and also has good ideas as well. So that's pretty cool the way you guys do it. I never knew that. Yeah, it's great. I, I love that about our club. As I said, it's a very open forum and, we have a lot of guys, and, and as you'd know, everyone's got different leadership styles. Um, you know, the, the most perfect leader in the world still has some sort of flaws in their, you know, everyone's got their things that they do well and they don't do well. Um, but I think that it's important to have balance within all those things. And, I mean, sure, there's there's definitely times where we're straight down the line, like, no, that's bullshit, like, you got to be yeah. here or whatever. Um, and that's really important too because there is an element of discipline Um but as I said, you know, it's, it's about giving everyone the opportunity to, to do that. And I think by doing that, you naturally make every person accountable for themselves. They go, oh, well, this guy's going to say something about me after practice. I better do the right thing. And now I'm accountable of all of a sudden for those things that people may have pulled up. So I think it's just great in terms of accountability and, and um, yeah, as I said, well, just leadership in general. Yeah, it's it's pretty cool because I think you're someone that's so that has so much to offer because you've been you've travelled and played for so many different teams and been a part of even the emerging boomers in 2017 and and being able to to be a part of so many different NBL teams is that 
is, is there someone that really stands out or is there multiple people that really stand out in your leadership style now and people that you really respect? Because obviously you went back to the, you went to the Kings for a while there and played with the likes of Andrew Bogut. Is, is them experiences from the NBA or is there someone else that has amazing experiences and you really respect that sort of helped you through your journey of leadership? Um, yeah, definitely. I think there's, there's been a few guys. I probably could sit here and talk for a while about multiple guys, but I mean, Bogues stands out for me big time. Um, Bogut yeah. was, he, he's a leader in his own way as well. He's an author, he's an authoritarian. He's straight down the line. No bullshit. Yeah. Some of the young boys will be tiptoeing around, but then he, he's also will sit down with you after practice and tell you why he, he had a spray or whatnot. Um, but one thing I just loved about him was his, he led by example every single day and he would never, you know, ask someone to do something he wasn't doing. And that, that is a massive thing in terms of respect and, um, just his knowledge of the game. So he wasn't necessarily talking all the time, but, um, you know, maybe I remember one time we we're in a preseason game and for people who don't know heaps about basketball might not make a lot of sense, but Anyway, he's he he was kind of the helper. So anytime someone gets beat off the bounce, Bogues was kind of there protecting the rim. Um, if he goes to block a shot and you're a guard, you've got to crack down onto that big's legs and try and get him out of rebounding position, rotate onto the next man. And I just remember he goes to block this shot. He grabs me and he says, pulls me down onto his player without saying a word. And at the same time, he was yelling at Brad Newley to get to the corner, the shooter in the corner. So he's thinking three d- defensive rotations ahead. And then he blocked the shot, got the rebound, gave me the ball, and we ran the other way. And I just remember thinking, like, like how did he think of all that in, like, a split second? And, um, you know, it's repetition, it's, it's communication, and he really helped me get out of my shell in terms of um, – vocalizing especially on the defensive end um he helped me defensively a lot yeah that's pretty amazing decision making to sort of be three plays in front of the play in that one split decision of a decision that you have to make like that's bloody incredible like did he has he sort of ever said to you or have you ever got um something where a desire desire to go over to the to the u.s and play play in the NBA or sort of what was what what experience did he share with you and is that something that you you consider yeah definitely I mean it's definitely a dream of mine I um two years ago I was uh, able to go over and play with the Mavericks for three days um just in a a mini camp situation summer league um and sort of get a taste of that environment um and also we've played the NBL versus NBA games which is we played Oklahoma City and the Clippers um, so yep. they were, they were amazing experiences. So you get a bit of a taste of the game. Um, I mean, Bogues's experiences are probably a little bit bigger than maybe some others as, I mean, he was on those championship teams at the Warriors. So, I mean, his last point guard was Steph Curry. So I kind of had big shoes. Here and I said, <laughs> Mate, just, so you know, <laughs> just little when shoes. You throw the ball and I miss, <laughs> I'm not Steph. So just easier. <laughs> um, but no, it was some of his stories were amazing, just about plane rides with different guys and um, you know, things that go on on the plane, off the floor. Just it was it was cool. And just in terms of basketball, just moving without the ball, Steph and Clay are constantly moving, constantly moving. 
Um, and he was just such a willing passer and an amazing passer that um, he made your shot just so much easier. You had an extra second on every look just because he'd get you the ball at the right time. And um, yeah, just, yeah, he was, he was great to play with. One of the best teammates I've had on the court for sure. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Can you can you give us a bit of an insight of what it was like to go over to to Dallas with the Mavs? Because, like, for us over here in Australia, like we have professional sport here, but then it's just it just seems like it's ramped up about four thousand times over there. Like, was it was it all that you thought it was going to be? Yeah, it was. I um, so I was in New Zealand at the time. I flew over, um, and I got there about two days early because I. I wanted to get there early. I wanted to shoot. I wanted to figure out that three-point line a little bit. It's a touch further out and just, you know, get a yeah. feel for the gym and whatnot. And um, the day I arrived, it was Dirk Nowitzki's 40th birthday. So I walk into the Mavs facility. I'm, they've got all these key cards swiping in. It's like some robot thing. And I'm walking through and I'm just like, I'm pinching myself because as a kid, I, I loved the Mavs. I loved the NBA. It was just like, where am I? And um, I walk in and Dirk, is. it's about 7.30 in the morning. So I'm going early. I'm going to shoot. I want to be the first one in the gym, you know, whatever it is. And Dirk is in a full sweat, like sweating head to toe, just shooting jumpers. And he's got this German coach with him who's been his shooting coach his whole life. And his, this German coach is just yelling at him, saying, like, no, bring your elbow in and your, your, your shots all look like, you know, still going at him. And he's 40 years old. He's 40 in the years Hall old. Game. It's his birthday. <laughs> and I was just thinking, like, wow, like, that is so amazing that he's still being coached, for one. He's a Hall of Famer. He's one of the best shooters of all time. Um, and it was just it was just so cool to see that sort of dedication to the sport and the facilities were insane. It was it was just a whole other level. But to um, put actually the gear on, walk out there with an NBA ball, you have like 10 guys rebounding for you. <laughs> Any shot that comes off the rings just rebounded, bang, straight back to you. It's like, um, yeah, it was just, it was unreal. It was amazing. Yeah, mate, it sounds like it. It, it, it sounds like an, an amazing experience. And is it something that you're sort of looking at in the next couple of years or is it are you sort of happy where you are now and or is it something is that re, is that a dream of yours that you really want to try to grab it one day potentially Yeah for sure I mean it's definitely a dream I think that um it's definitely difficult I think um the way that the NBA is moving now with sort of those 6566 six, six athletes across the court um yeah. One through five, you know, the, the big men are getting smaller and stretching the ball out, shooting threes more, and the point guards are getting taller. Yeah. Um, so now you've got six, ten dudes in the point like Ben Simmons, et cetera. So, I mean, they're big, big boys. And um, one thing I've always thought, I mean, I think the best athletes in the world in terms of athletes are, are in basketball and they're in the States. I think if you're looking at a 6'10 yeah. guy who can change direction, move their bodies, Etc. I think that the NBA is kind of where you look in terms of athletes. Um, so for me, yeah. being someone who isn't necessarily an athlete, um, my skills need to be next level to be in that position. You know, um, like you see with Patty yeah. Mills, um, Delhi, they both have different game styles. Um, but you know, to be a smaller guard in the NBA, you definitely got to have something. Um, 
which, yeah, I think I'm always progressing at. And, um, I mean, it's definitely a dream and a goal and I want to get there. Um, for me, I'd love to just continue in the NBL and try and maybe get over to Europe for a little bit um, with the ultimate yep. goal, going back to Dallas, you know, playing again and trying to work my way into a roster that way. Um, but as I said, it's a, it, it is a difficult task, but, I mean, by no means I'm not going to put myself um, out of it for sure. Yeah, yeah. Well, who knows, mate? Like, it's your career so far, it's just sort of gone leaps and bounds, obviously, from um, when you first signed with Adelaide. Like, you just, you just never know, do you, and the experiences that you've had and, and the leadership that you possess as well, mate. You've, you, there's always probably a chance there. It's just hopefully that um, an opportunity arises. So I'll be definitely definitely um, having a look to, start to hope um, to see where your career goes through. So, um one thing looking away from uh, away from basketball and sport in general is um what are you doing away from sport like is it are you someone that um tries to put a lot of time into basketball even when you're away from the court or are you someone that sort of tries to get away from away from the court when you're at home um when i'm at home i definitely try and shut down from basketball for sure um but i definitely am a bit of a gym rat um i'm in there I'm first one in trying to, you know, get as many shots as I can. And, um, yeah, I, I'm always there long. I spend lots of hours at the basketball court and I, I love it. That's where I, I want to be. I'm always working on different things and, um, you know, texting coaches, can you come early and rebound and whatnot. And, um, yeah, I think that's, that's something I've needed to do to be, to be where I am. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's kind of where um, everything kind of, I guess, started is that, that work ethic. Um, yeah. Yeah. And what about, what about study and work experience? Is that something that you put a lot of emphasis on? Are you someone that tries to upskill away from sport? Oh, yeah. Sorry. I've, I was going to answer that part and I totally went blank. Um, yeah. Yeah, That's for right. sure. Um, I think when I'm away from sport, I obviously want to be away and I think that, the one thing, you know, whether it's I go for a surf and, you know, just have some some competitive stuff that's away from basketball is really nice. Um, but one thing I've always tried to do in terms of business or, you know, things outside of sport is kind of probably dip my toe in as many pies as I can because I think it's one thing sports people may get caught up on is they get this ultimatum where, all right, I've got 10 years of sport, whatever it is, you know, and then I've got to do something. And I agree 100%, but I think the luxury is that sports people have the opportunity to try lots of things while they've got their main job, which is sport. So I think for me, it's just trying different things. Um, I'm working as with the Players Association as kind of the development player, kind of checking in with development players in terms of like well-being and, um, you know, maybe it's study, maybe they want some help to study different things and just checking in with them. So that's a role I've got to progress. I want to try and move into maybe um, working with like young professional athletes or aspiring athletes and sort of talking to them about, I guess, pros and cons of sport, um, you know, and that it is a legitimate career path. Um, So just trying to make that process a bit easier and, um, yeah, also doing some business stuff, as we mentioned before, um, with sort of a venture company. Um, and yeah, just, as I said, dabbling my toes in as many things as possible. Um, I'm also studying sport management at the moment. 
Um, it's going very slowly, one subject every every month. So I'll probably be done in about 25 years. That's all right. The main thing is, is that I'm <laughs> chipping away. So, yeah, that's going well too. Yeah, yeah mate, that, that's awesome because I think like you would have seen as well, like some of my good friends that, that were in the system as, as cricketers or footballers that I ended up seeing um, leave the game and leave the game in, in sort of disarray with no study, no work experience and probably not a lot of money behind them. It's, it's, it's quite a sad thing to see. Um, some of your friends really struggle during that period of transition because it's not an easy time for, for any athlete, let alone if you don't have anything behind you. So probably my question is, is how did you start to think, I'm going to start dabbling my, my feet in, in a few businesses, I'm going to dabble in, in study because like, you know, a lot of athletes think it's going to ha- their sport's going to happen until they're 70 years old and they're going to be earning 300 grand a year till then. Mm-hmm. So what advice do you have and how did you start getting into a little bit of business? Um, I think I've always had this underlying feeling that basketball is not forever and I totally understand that. Um, and I also, yeah. I'm always trying to find things that I love doing and One of my downfalls is that if I don't like doing something, I literally hate it. I will not, I'll put no effort (laughs) into it. So, you know, if someone's like, oh, can you do this for me? And I don't like doing it, I will do an awful job. And it sucks, but that's just the way I am. But if I love something, I will put everything I've got into it and really try and uh, make it better or help the situation, whatever it is. And I think that's one thing I'm trying to do now is just figure that out. Um, but I guess my advice would be is you've got this luxury and you've got this um, window with sport where you've got opportunity to network, sponsors, um, financial advisors, uh, everything under the sun. Sport is amazing. Um, you can make good money. You can do everything. But it is it is a short career in realistic terms of life. So I think that, that window is really important. Um, I think networking is the biggest biggest thing sports people can do. I think sponsors love to watch you play and they love even more when you get the opportunity to work with you and talk to you on a personal basis. You may have no skills in their field, but um, your sheer, I guess, presence and energy and whatever it is, you know, they, they may really love. So I'd say just try as many things as you can and network as much as you can and, and meet people. I think it's an amazing opportunity to actually set yourself up post-basketball um, or post-sport, sorry, um, just by networking. I think it's a very easy thing to do um, and it can really help you. Yeah, that's a massive understatement, isn't it, networking? Because like you probably were at the start of your career as well, you probably think you're too cool going to the sponsors' events and we all think like, ah, oh, we'll just stand in the, at the side and have a beer with, the, with our mates and won't really say anything. But it is so important, isn't it? Because some of these sponsors – and networks at the end of the day, if they if you meet them and, and you're a good person and they want to help you out post sporting career and they that might be your, your opportunity in because I'll tell you what, like it, it's not an easy ride when you first transition um, from sport if you don't know exactly what you want to do. So that's awesome that you're you're dabbling your feet into into a few different things. And like um, we were saying before, is that one of our um, connections? BV's got that adventure company is sort of. Is that marketing um, side of it and that adventure company something that you're really enjoying or is it something that you're going to look to try to get into sort of professional uh, athlete development after? Yeah, I, I love the adventure and outdoors and I love all that. And um, I think for me, 
I, you know, I want to live down the coast eventually. So that's number one for me is yep. post-sport, I'll probably end up down the beach somewhere. Um, but, yeah, I think truly at the bottom of my heart, I know it's probably well-being and um, athlete development, maybe high performance, um, that kind of stuff I really love. Um, but, yeah, working with young people is is awesome, I think, and that's yep. that comes from me being wanting to be a teacher when I was younger and whatnot. I was... I think that just working with young people and seeing them actually develop and grow and, um, you know, create their own little careers and own little journeys, I think that's pretty exciting. And um, if I can help that in any way, I think that's where my kind of passion lies and I think that I've I've done it maybe not necessarily the easiest way and I've had some hurdles and I've had some, um, you know, different challenges and I, I think that I can be of benefit to those those athletes. Um, so I think that's kind of where I'm heading, but as I said, yep. clear as mud. I just want to try and dabble in a few things and, um, just see where this thing takes me. And while that's all happening, make sure I sort my degree out. Um, so when that's done, at yep. least I've, at least I've got that to fall back on worst case. Yeah, definitely. Like I think you, you've got such an amazing story for, for younger athletes trying to get through, um, the system and navigate their way. If, if I said to you now, like, where, where is Kyle's happy place? Where would you say that the place that you can get away and just not have to think about basketball or, or work or is a bit of a place where you can just relax? Where would it be? Um, oh, I'd be going for a surf, probably the Powlett River. Yeah. Down, down towards the island way. I've, I go to Bowen Heads a bit too, but Powlett River is just a lot more raw yep. and um, you can get down there with not many people around and get yourself your, your own little bank and own little wave and just, just you on the water, but I think nature's got the coolest, um, just calming or I don't know what the word is, but I just think nature is so cool and so many people get caught up in their own little worlds and just even it's a walk, anything yeah. like that, I think nature's just number one for me, get my own little space. Yeah, awesome, mate. Well, I just want to say thanks for thanks for coming on. It's, it's been amazing to talk about your journey so far and and not only your journey um, in sport so far, but also um, outside of sport as well, mate. It's been been quite incredible, and I'm sure that uh, I know that I will be, and I'm sure the listeners will be sort of cheering you on and, and following your career closely. Nah, thanks, mate. I really appreciate it. I, um, thanks for having me on. I really enjoyed having a chat to Kyle, a quality leader in his own right that has so much experience on and off the field in his career so far. I love how he's been able to work with the NBL on developing younger players and helping them ease into professional basketball. I'd really appreciate if you could take some time to review the show on Apple Podcasts. Have a great week, guys, and keep your eyes open for our next giveaway. It's not far away.